0: fans, wherever you may be, welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and featuring Seahawks sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey Seahawks fans, welcome into the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, and I am here as always with... Keith Myers. Good morning, Keith.
1: Good morning, Bill.
0: Happy Wednesday to you. Hump day.
1: Happy Wednesday. I know we're, we're a day later than normal this week, uh, but, you know, that's the way it works sometimes.
0: Sometimes uh, life, friends, family, you know, stuff gets in the way. That's what happened to me. I take complete blame this week for pushing the, the show back, so, but... Keith was gracious in uh, offering another time slot to record, so here we are so we we had a win um, we 've got a few things in the news um, we 're going to talk about all sorts of good stuff today about um, the game last Sunday against the Rams and then we 'll look at um, specifically the offense I think this uh, in the in the second featured segment that we have after we talk about the game. We'll go into that a little bit, and we'll talk about some things that are functioning and some dysfunction, and uh, whatever else comes to mind. And then we'll kind of preview the, uh, the following week's show. We've got a bye week coming up, so we don't have a, a normal show next week, so we're going to kind of have a fun show where we're talk about all sorts of different stats and uh, look forward and kind of look back and uh, where we're at. So uh, any opening thoughts, Keith, before we get into some of the news items?
1: Um, you know, it's a bye week and I'm not sure who needs the bye week more the Seahawks or the people who cover the Seahawks.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt, right? You know, the Seahawks seem to be, uh, you know, battling through some injuries. Um, they've got a surgery coming up on one of their players. They're out looking and shopping around for linemen. Um, they're talking about, you know, tweaking up some scheme stuff, so... It's actually a big week as far as having a lot of things to talk about. So why don't we just get into it, Keith, and we'll talk about some of the news items that are coming up. Uh, what did you have on your list uh, well, so we can talk about it?
1: Well, I think uh, probably the the uh, most interesting piece of news is that the Seahawks worked out uh, left tackle Brandon Albert, who's been he was one of the better uh, left tackles in the league there for a while, but he is in quasi-retirement now, and they, they brought him in, worked him out uh, as a you know, possibility of adding him to the roster and then you know, getting him up to speed and, and sticking him in there uh, because his left tackle has been the weakness, uh, the biggest weakness on the line. And then they also uh, have been working pretty hard behind the scenes, according to multiple reports to uh, acquire Houston's uh, Dwayne Brown, who is their left tackle.
0: Yeah, that's is, interesting to me.
1: Who has been dealing with a contract dispute and held out and all of that. Um, doesn't want to be there. Uh, so the the Seahawks are working that out. Um, Brandon Albert left without a contract. The Dwayne Brown stuff is continuing to work. Uh, there was a story by um, Ben Albright who uh runs cover thirty two and is a Houston or not Houston, Denver based um you know, football guy who said that working out Brandon Albert was an attempt to bring the price for um Dwayne Brown down. You yeah, know, the, the trading cost and that he says, and that it worked. We'll see what that means. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um,
0: I mean, when you look at a guy that's uh, as old as Brandon Albert is, mm-hmm. and you know, and he left without a contract, and uh, you know, that's been talked about for a few weeks. He's been out there. Um, all other 31 teams in the league have not yet shown interest in Brandon Albert. I don't know what he's got left in the tank, Keith. Obviously, mm-hmm. we've got issues at that spot. I think if uh, he was a real contender, uh, they probably would have uh, kept him around and, and signed him to a deal because he's going to be far less expensive than Dwayne Brown. And that's why I kind of don't agree with that analysis that it's to drive the price down. Uh, Brandon Albert's not going to drive the price down for Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown's got a eight ten million, $10 million contract. Uh, well, Brandon you... Albert could come in for about uh, you know six seven $700,000 for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, I don't know if he'll come in for See the thing is he probably will be like, eh, no, thank you." I think the reason why Brandon Albert's still out there is because teams aren't willing to pay what he wants. And he was like, "You know, what? I'd rather not play than play for 6 or $700,000." Well, oh, that's that's
0: certainly that certainly could be true. I mean, when you're talking about the Seahawks, he's coming to a contender and mm-hmm. uh I understand his next visit is to the New York Giants. That that's kind of interesting. Um Maybe the Giants are fishing for a little bit of offensive line information from the, you know, the uh, Albert Brown or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or Albert, yep. uh, Brandon. Brandon, Albert, Brandon. No, I'm sorry, Brandon. Albert. So what do you what are your thoughts on this whole when you take a look at the entirety of the issue? um where we're at on our line, and and these guys kind of running through the system. They're looking at them. They're trying trying to figure something out. What are the chances of actually uh, something taking place?
1: It all comes down to they have to not only work out the trade details with Houston, but then they also have to clear cap space because they only have about four and a half million in cap space, which means they have to clear at least three and a half more. Probably more than that because they have to you know, keep some in reserve in case players go on injured reserve and they have to move stuff around. So they, there's a lot of moving parts that have to happen for that trade to come through. But according to all the reports out there, it's very active. The team is working on it uh, pretty hard. They want to see it happen. And I, you know what? Go for it. Because this is a guy who's probably a top five offensive tackle in the NFL.
0: How old he, is he, Keith?
1: Good question. I didn't actually look that up.
0: I think he's thirty. <laughs> I think he's thirty-two years old, Keith. Is he? he? Yeah. And so, to to me, that's an issue. Not only that, Keith, but if you take a look at the way the Seahawks have mismanaged this entirety, the the entirety of the offensive line this year and the running game and all that kind of stuff, uh, and then uh, you know, while we uh, it looked like a, a good deal to kind of throw money at Sheldon Richardson, that's turning out to be a pretty decent move what you're doing though to your cap space in the future is you're definitely kicking the can down the road and this move definitely would impact our ability uh, going forward Um, you know he's only got a couple years left on his contract but they are significant dollar amounts like I said I think he's got eight to 18 million left on a two-year remaining two years on his deal um now they could manipulate that a little bit so say if we trade Jeremy Lane or whatever and 6 million dollars comes off the books um you could finagle some of um Dwayne Brown's contract into a bonus but then you're kicking more of that you know towards dead money into the future if you happen to cut him or uh you know what I'm talking about so
1: yeah but you're looking at you're still I, I talking know, about Keith. one of, you're still talking about one of the One of the better offensive tackles in the NFL, and he comes from Houston, so they run zone blocking. In fact, they're much better at running zone blocking. Well, he's the
0: best left tackle in in the zone blocking scheme in the NFL. I would agree with that.
1: Yes, and so they we're talking about getting this guy who is yes he's thirty two, but he is playing at a really high level. And you look like Andrew Whitworth is thirty six and is still playing at a really high level. Uh, offensive tackle, as long as there's not knee injuries, is is a position where you see guys play, you know, to the 36, 37 when they're really good. So I, this could work out. And this is one of those things. The offensive line is holding this team back. Left tackle is the weakest position on the offensive line. And you can make it the best position on the offensive line.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Keith. What do you believe the Seahawks would have to give up to, to land Dwayne Brown.
1: Um probably Jeremy Lane in a third.
0: And then and then manipulate some numbers
1: after. Well, that. I don't I don't think you'll have to manipulate too many numbers because if you trade Jeremy Lane's contract, you uh you open up open up enough free cap space to get him onto the roster. That's and if then-
0: Houston wants Jeremy Lane or you've got to have a third party, you know, deal or something, I don't know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
1: And the thing about the reason why Jeremy Lane comes up is because one his contract is what it is, two it's an expiring contract. So, uh Houston would be able to say, "Hey, we have all this cap space next year and possibly getting a comp pick with, if Jeremy Lane signs a big contract with someone else." And the other part of all of this is that Deshaun Shed is coming back. Okay. And, and, and
0: Griffin has emerged.
1: Yeah, Griffin has emerged, uh Coleman has emerged, and Big time. and you have uh Deshaun Shedd coming back um here in the next well, they'll be with one game without him, uh, and then he'll possibly be out there playing. So uh it, they're they're in a situation where Jeremy Lane is kind of in limbo as far as his playing time and his role with the team. So yeah. it actually makes a lot of sense for him to be Um, part of this and he does have value for other teams so it's one of those things that i think and if you can get him for jeremy lane in a third you do it
0: are there any other options
1: Uh, i mean people people have have talked
0: talked about jimmy graham jimmy graham is one i don't think so i don't think so i mean jimmy graham if you if you look at jimmy graham this year yeah you always think that he could give you a little more but man he's given you quite a bit and You know, for to have a guy like that on your team for the rest of the year, if you're a team that's seriously pushing for a uh, push into the into the playoffs, you don't you don't let Jimmy Graham go.
1: Well, no, you don't let Jimmy Graham go, and you don't let if you're going to do that kind of deal, you're not like you'd be trading straight across with Jimmy Graham for Brown. Uh, and you're you're basically saying we're not going to throw in a draft pick, or you might have to throw in a draft pick to Houston. I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, the um, only
0: thing to think about that deal is if they don't think that they're going to re-sign Jimmy Graham. If they don't think that they're going to re-sign Jimmy Graham, then it makes it a little bit more interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we can um, we can get into the value of Jimmy Graham a little later in our in our second uh, segment because uh, there's a lot going on there and i've got a stat for everyone so um
0: another issue is michael bennett
1: yeah you michael know, and bennett, i
0: don't even i i've to be completely honest i've kind of been away from football for a few days after the the game i just had a few things going on and i didn't even really hear about the michael bennett deal until you sent me some some notes um yesterday afternoon
1: yeah so what happened is michael bennett hurt his foot um you know in the second half went out for a few plays came back on played through it uh, and then we what we've learned is it's just a, a plantar fasciitis issue. He basically, which basically means he overstretched um, the ligaments in the, bo- like the arch of his foot, and so then there's some like inflammation and stuff there. It hurts. I've had it. It's an really annoying. It's I don't play professional football, so I'm sure it's more difficult for him. But yeah. you can get it. You can get around it. You basically have to sleep with your foot in a, um, in a uh, brace so that way you your that area stays stretched uh, so it doesn't get all like tight. Um, and you know, you manage with some anti inflammatories and that kind of thing. Having this week off is going to do him a lot of good because it does,
0: it does good. But those issues take a long time and you know, and they don't go away because you're on your feet all the time. And, and a guy like Michael Bennett is planting and pushing and creating explosion off of that plant. Um, yeah there's so also that's degrees diff- that's, right that's how severe is it true have we have we heard
1: no and but the fact is that you know pete carroll said that he'll use the bi-week to get better and he'll be ready to go for the Giants. so i'm thinking it's probably not a um you know not a serious thing so if it's if it's minor and if they can manage because it's really it's not there's not it's not damage to the ligaments it's inflammation of them didn't he have um, this before keith I don't remember him having this. Before. I thought I thought it was I thought it was Bennett
0: who had this like two years ago, but maybe not.
1: If he did, then he knows. He you know, everybody kind of knows, right? Um, how to how to manage it, and if he had it before and played through it, then we don't have anything to worry about because he's been great his entire time. That's true um, in Seattle. So, so there's that, and then there's one other injury note. Um, and that's left uh guard luke jokel who has been having some pain in his surgically repaired knee um he's been playing through it this whole time uh they're using the bye week to get him to get a scope done basically clean some stuff up the recovery will call cause him to miss the game against the giants but he'll be back after that so that's a little worrisome because i
0: got to i got to tell you keith i'm a little ticked off at you at me yeah about this because there was a podcast about uh seven shows ago where i expressed a little bit of of uh, tepidness on luke jokel and the fact that he could make it through the entire season with a rebuilt knee and you were like oh no this you know he's got a surgically repaired tendon in his knee he's totally fine he's going to be fine he's you know a lot of these things don't get re-injured, blah, 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 blah. It's like, here we are. We're in weeks five, six, and he's got a little bit of a knee thing going on. He needs to have it cleaned up surgically, and he's going to miss, you know, theoretically, would have been two games, maybe even three, possibly. You know, we just don't know, right, how he's going to react to that. So, um yeah and i, I have no i blame, no so idea I blame what you're you talking about i blame you i do because you t- <laughs> you told me that it was gonna be okay
1: <laughs> it's gonna be okay bill <laughs> uh i have no idea what you're talking about no it wasn't me it must have been must have been your other co-host oh man i'm gonna have to, <laughs> well,
0: gonna have to find that
1: now. no um the thing is that we were what we've been being told both by jokal by the coaches everything is that nope he's fine don't worry about it he's good and Um, And then turns out, no, they weren't being completely honest with us. So you you were right. Um, So that means I was wrong. It's all good. Uh, (laughs) But um, no, I think now that we know this, now that the truth has really come out about the state of his knee and where it is and all that kind of stuff, this makes me wonder, is this why he was never moved to left tackle? Lateral footness. Just Is this there? the reason why they went with Risto Diambo out there, who has been really not good the entire time, uh, yeah. and left Jokel at left guard? Because what we were told was that he, that Jokel was completely healthy, there was no problems, no concerns, nothing, and now we re- now we know that's not true.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it is what it is. And we're going to talk about the offensive line a little later in the show. Um, And, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues going on there. I mean, on one hand you can say, well, they've been good enough to get some wins and to protect Wilson enough. But when you take a look at how many times Wilson's been hit and so forth, and I can talk about that a little later or I can talk about it right now. I mean, Wilson's been (laughs) sacked 13 times this year he was sacked at 10 times this year uh, this time last year so even though wilson was hurt in the first game and his mobility went completely to virtually zero um, he he was sacked less last year than this year and then mm-hmm. wilson's been hit 43 times in 2017 so far that, and that doesn't include the 30 times he ran the ball 20 of which he did not step out of the bounds and was tackled right so and and those are only those those things i just mentioned are only uh second worst in the league. Uh the only worse situation is Arizona where they have a quarterback who can't run.
1: Yeah, they have a statue. So back if there. if
0: we were dealing with a quarterback that couldn't run, these stats would have been mind-bogglingly bad. They're already really significantly bad. Um you know. So
1: What's what is telling to me is just how much worse they are than last year and last year the offensive line was terrible it was the worst in the NFL it right. was you know just the, th- the one thing that held the team back and then what we were sold all offseason was that they these guys are going to be better there's improvement they sign these veterans it's going to be better and it's actually worse um which just goes to show you that we have much bigger problems then people are telling us
0: well let's you know. turn to some positive stuff for a little bit and uh on the on the whole where mm-hmm. you, there's there's some negative stuff you can pull out of that rams game um obviously but we did enough to win and so let's and talk we, about
1: let's not talk only did they do enough to win they actually did win <laughs> So anytime you get a win on the road against a divisional opponent, man, just take it. Like people are complaining about how close it was or that, you know. Yeah, there's
0: a lot of close games in the NFL. I think like 70 uh, out of all the games in the NFL uh, this last week, like all but two or three of them were decided by six points or less.
1: Yeah, something like uh, more like the... The number of games decided by six points or less was the highest in the last five years um, for, yeah. you know, in, in terms of one week. So that's a it was a close game and a lot of games are close. and so You have to be able to win close games and the Seahawks did that. So. And
0: Seattle is designed to win close games. Yep. So let's talk about uh, some of the key uh, takeaways from the game. Wilson was twenty fourth, uh, thirty one, one hundred ninety eight yards, a TD and in an interception. He also had a great play on his interception where he ran forty yards laterally across the field to make a tackle, a saving tackle. You know there was a yeah. lot of there's a lot of plays in this game that you can point to, Keith, that were difference makers, and that was certainly one of them.
1: Yeah, I mean they they won by six, and Wilson saved the touchdown when that pass got picked off. By by running it down and yeah, who um, else?
0: Who else saved a touchdown? We had one on
1: defense too. That was just crazy.
0: It was like part two.
1: Earl Earl Thomas with the chop at the goal line.
0: Unbelievable, Keith.
1: And I can't believe that you know they he got back there and got the fumble and then the stacks ended up with the ball because
0: every blade of grass is defended by that man.
1: What's one of the things that's interesting is if you go back to twenty fourteen. In St. Louis at the time, there is it's almost identical. You, you I can, know, but it's it's a different. The the Rams uniforms look different, so it's not <laughs> the same play. But it was actually Benny Cunningham and yeah. um, Earl got over there and got the stop with the same kind of chop motion to to uh, cause the fumble and, and the same touch. Ba- I mean,
0: it was just crazy. That's literally a game saving play by a Hall of Famer.
1: Yeah, but. and uh defensive player of the week uh for the nfl so outstanding um which he deserved not just for that play but also the interception and just being earl thomas and awesome so i think uh, in the
0: defense overall i mean we need to talk about the defense in this game because i think that's that's kind of where most of the, the positive stuff is i mean we held that offense to 10 points and zero points in the second half. We had, you know, Gurley, uh, who was leading the NFL in rushing coming into the game. I think I have some notes here just a uh, sec. Uh, he had uh, 50 total yards on 16 touches, uh, 43 yards rushing, uh, after averaging 149 yards on 27 touches per game. Right? Yeah. Think about that. That's that's really crazy. And Goff completed 46% of his uh, 47 throws. He had two interceptions, zero TDs. He had lost a fumble. He had a quarterback rating of 48.9. You know, Seattle now ranks third in the NFL or, or fifth or third, fourth or whatever in points allowed. So, you know, this the, Seattle's starting to really put it together on defense, uh, especially when they can um, – when our offense is somewhat in sync and and can sustain drives to keep the defense fresh.
1: Well, and it's not just keeping the defense fresh. It's also keeping the game uh, close and, or having the lead because when this defense is built around asking the other team to throw and when it's not, when when the, when the run is a legit uh, option for the opposing offense, the, the Seahawks don't really have the horses to do to defend both simultaneously this year. They're just the way their their defensive line is built; just they don't do that well. And so, the fact that they were able to the, the offense didn't really do that part because they never jumped out to this big lead. In fact, it wasn't until just before halftime that they were able to tie it. Yeah. Uh, but hmm. they, you know, they went through it. It, it was never this big lead, so the run was always an option for the Rams. And the Seahawks still managed to do what they haven't been able to do all year, and that's shut down that running game, forced yep. the other team to pass. So,
0: <clears throat> Well, last week, in last week's podcast, I asked you specifically, I said, if the Seahawks score 17 points, do we win the game? And you didn't even hesitate. You said yes. And the, but they the Rams, didn't score seventeen points. And I know, and the Rams came. Points. And the Rams <laughs> came in, averaging thirty-five points a game before yep. that game. And so, you—I mean, we knew that they were having a hard time scoring. You know, nine, ten points is what we were giving them, and uh, we came real close to to pre- predicting that game. I knew it was going to be a slog. I mean, it always is down there. It just yeah. is in the NFL, and they've got a tough defense.
1: Yeah, their, their their defensive line is their strength. This is the strength of their entire team. Against our and, biggest weakness. And Seattle's offensive line is the weakness of the entire team. And you put those two together, and it just is going to make life really hard on Seattle to score points. But at the same time, Seattle's defense is good enough. You're going to win games even in those situations. So that is, I mean, this was a good win Against a team that's better than most people think, on the road, in division, you, know, you gotta you gotta take it.
0: Well, I'll take it, Keith. But I do have to say that we almost lost this game on a couple of different occasions. You've you've got that interception by Wilson. He almost you know if he doesn't make that tackle, they score. There was a couple other things where we took points off the board. Then uh, the game almost ends differently. I mean, completely differently in the last couple plays of the game. He marches ninety yards down the field with one minute left and no timeouts. Yeah, and, compl- there was a and almost completes of the bad. pass to Cooper Cup at the end of the game for a touchdown. I mean, Cooper dropped that ball. Yeah. That, there's, that there's, was a dropped ball away from being a real being ugly a loss.
1: Well, there was a couple plays on that drive where, you know, the very first one, which got him out uh just like right around midfield, where the Seahawks had two players there. I thought it was an interception and It went right over their hands and was caught. And you're like, that should have been picked. The game should have been over right there. Um, And it was just, you know, a mistimed jump by two different players. Um, And then there was, you know, the, I think it might have been even the next play uh, where, you know, you've got a, you've got a, um, I think it was a linebacker, I think it was KJ Wright slipping, which is the only reason why that pass got through. And so you get the defense, I thought, played better on that series than it looked because yeah, they were able to march down the field, but it took it, it took weird things to happen in order for them to get down the field. Yeah. And so then of course you had a weird thing happen that stopped the drive from being successful, uh, which was the drop um, by cup right at the goal line. So it's, I, I mean, know, Seattle the whole, still the thing defense
0: still allowed 10 points and had five turnovers. Yeah. You know, on the road, which is on the road, amazing. And anytime you win that turnover battle, you're 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 really likely to win. I mean, as close as it was, and we probably should have had more points on the board, and probably should have uh, uh, put that game away a little earlier. But you know, like you said, you got to take it at the end of the year. It's not going to matter. We're three and two. Uh, we're going into a bye week. I think all things point, you know, upwards. If you Mm -hmm. want to take the positive spin on it, even though we've got issues, um, it's an experienced team with an experienced coaching staff who's going to make adjustments. We've got a GM and an owner who's willing to go out and basically do whatever it takes to put together a team that's going to give us the best chance to win.
1: Like trading for Dwayne Brown? Yeah.
0: Yeah. How about Richardson in that <laughs> game, Keith? Sheldon oh, Richardson man. was a monster and Frank Clark was a monster too, but Sheldon Richardson had a fumble recovery. He had an interception that was awesome. I just love that, you know, and it, it's, and Thomas had that goal line play and, uh, and Frank Clark is just an absolute beast. I mean, how lucky are we to have Frank Clark?
1: Well, Frank Clark is going to get paid in this year, this off season. Um, and you are probably going to see Cliff Averill's time in Seattle, even if he comes back from uh, his neck injury. Which they, you know, this team said that we won't probably won't know anything till after the Giants game. Uh, but if if Cliff Averill returns to football, he probably won't be with Seattle, so they can play Frank uh, Frank Clark um, because the guy is already out snapping um, Avril on a weekly basis, even before the injury, and the team just you got to keep the younger guy and he's, he is just getting better throughout this year and every year. And it's just, he's young enough and he's going to get paid. And then you get Sheldon Richardson who is probably going to get paid because, uh, and and hopefully by Seattle, he's just really, really impressive watching in there. That interception, we were talking about a guy who's over 300 pounds and for him to be running down a screen Yes. see, see a poorly thrown pass get tipped, and to change direction and dive at the ball, uh, and make the catch. I mean, that's a, a level of athleticism,
0: like a linebacker.
1: By a, yeah, by a three hundred pound guy. You could, guys that size don't move that way. They just aren't. They're just not built to move that way. And yet he does. He's just that athletic. It's just crazy.
0: So, uh, a couple more things. <clears throat> what do you think of Blair Walsh this year so far, Keith? I was a little concerned last game because I heard at halftime, he went out and, and took some more practice shots at halftime at home in Seattle. And uh, he he missed like seven field goals in a row at halftime. I I, I heard that. Now, I didn't, you know, that's unverifiable for me because it was off <laughs> camera. And, you know, but uh, that that's, was really concerning to me. But yet the guy's gone out and he's nine and, nine of ten on the year and including some really long field goals in key Mm -hmm. moments in these games. I mean, we're winning by, you know, small, small point totals. And so it's everything that he can give us is a positive.
1: Well, he's nine of 10 officially. He's also had a couple that have missed that, um, where it's not even, um, But, you know, the play didn't count because somebody jumped off sides or or there was a false start, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's a couple couple misses in there that don't show up because the play didn't count. Um, He also had a kickoff in this game where he mishit it so badly it went out of bounds about the 20-yard line. Uh, So there's enough there where I am not sold. I am not sold. I am still worried about the position. I wish that, you know it was just something that we could depend on it's funny and not, keith cuz i think about
0: it it's funny cuz i was thinking about that before the game and then by the end of the game i was i was thinking how comfortable i was when he came onto the field to kick a, a field goal i w- didn't have those reservations in my brain running through i i thought that he was going to make it you know which was an interesting transition for me i noticed it i was like visceral i i noticed the change in my process with him it was kind of interesting
1: for me for me the anxiety level has definitely decreased with him but there's there is just enough going on for me to maintain it if he hadn't kicked that ball out of bounds and if he hadn't you know missed a couple of uh plays that didn't count um i probably would right now would be like he's fixed like see how this was great it's a great move i'm glad they did it go for it uh but there's just a little bit going on to keep in the back of my mind to keep me worried, which, you know, it's the Seahawks. They really like my stress level to be high. So (laughs) I'm I'm sure they're doing it on purpose. So Uh,
0: the last thing I wanted to touch on in this game that will help us transition to our uh, second segment is the Seahawks inability to run the ball has to be a concern. Um, This game was no different um, than, than the others. Uh, We have one game this year where we ran the ball. Okay. Uh, Mm Okay. Everything else has just been really difficult for a team whose offensive line was built for the main purpose of running the ball. And so I want to talk about that a little bit and, and ask you kind of, you know, does it appear to be a running back problem? Is it strictly a 100% offensive line problem? What are, your, what are you seeing, Keith?
1: Well, I'm seeing that it's a little of both. I mean, to, just to go back and look at, at the 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 running backs from this last game. Rawls ran it eight times. He got 20 yards. Uh, Lacey ran it nine times for 19 yards. McKissick Jeez. ran it twice for zero yards. I mean, this is like...
0: That's just not sustainable, Keith. It, yeah, it's, it's... Not for it a championship isn't.
1: team. You've you so, got to run the ball. So you have... You have 19 rushes by the running backs, of which four of them were considered were considered a success. That means you rushed for more than two yards. Um, On so four, you had attempts. Four, four attempts, four attempts four, four 19. further than
0: two yards.
1: Yes. Uh. So, so 15 out of 19 went for two yards or less,
0: and that doesn't count count anything that Wilson did.
1: No, that's uh, that's not that's that's counting. I am. There were no designed running plays for Wilson. He ran and did well, and but a lot of those were off scrambles and, and those kind of plays. So uh, just talking about running plays to the running backs, you have four out of 19 that went for two, more than two yards, and you cannot sustain an offense when that's the case. Now... This is the NFL in 2017. This is a passing league. Passing stats correlate to wins much more than running stats do and all of that. But the way this team is built, for them to have consistent offensive success, they need to be able to run the ball. They don't have to like dominate with the run like they did in, in 2013. Uh, but they need to be able to run the ball effectively uh, enough just to take some of the pressure off Wilson to slow the uh, pass rushers down to keep the big you know run stuffers on the field more often um, for and the opposing help, and team and to help close out games. Yeah, and and that's the other thing is is to close out games because at the end of this game the Seahawks had the ball twice. Yeah, with the opportunity to put the game away by just running the clock out, get into that four minutes off- offense, grind it out, get a few first downs, and they couldn't do it. They, they ran it, ran it, and then asked Wilson to throw on on third and long because both runs were unsuccessful. Do you and, think we
0: were too conservative there, Keith, with the game on the line? Or on the road, you're just going to be conservative, you're, you're up, you're going to take the points, and you're going to just sit on the lead?
1: Well, yes and no. Um, I think they were too conservative because you needed a first down, and you so give your ch- give yourself a chance to go get the first down. And running it when you're when you can't run the ball isn't really giving you an opportunity to go for the first down. Yeah. On the other hand, as you said, this offensive line, the players picked, and what Tom Cable teaches and everything—it's about running the football and. If that's supposed to be your identity, if that's what you want it to be, go do it.
0: That's all we heard and, about in the offseason, Keith.
1: Yeah, we're going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball. We're doing all this stuff so we can run the ball. We're, and they still can't run the ball. In fact, they're... They Statistically
0: are just, poorer than they were last year.
1: Yeah, they just cannot do anything on the ground it just isn't working
0: so again and i i think i ask this almost every podcast and i'm sorry listeners i really am but when does tom cable become accountable for th- for this uh screw up i mean there's no other way to point it at this point it is it's screwed up we're mid-season not quite mid-season but we're close and we're having to retool we're looking at other players coming in. We're thinking about trading for an $8 million a year left tackle. I mean, these are things that aren't normal.
1: Yeah. So you're asking who, when does he become accountable, accountable to who? To well, like fans? when does Dwayne Brown the, come
0: in and then performs poorly in, in Cable's scheme?
1: I mean, what well, happens? He better then? not perform, he better not perform poorly in Cable's scheme because this is a, a, you know, this is a top player. This is, you're, you're going out and, Getting a guy specifically because he can do this scheme, and because he can he can do it and has done it, he's playing in a similar scheme in Houston. So if he comes in and plays poorly in this scheme, then Tom, yeah, then then they're, they're, that's it. But you're going out to get a guy because you know he will succeed in this scheme. I actually think Tom Cable's version of zone blocking is part of the problem here. Uh, if you look at Houston. Denver and Baltimore, which are three of the uh, other zone Joe blocking Gibbs. teams, right? Yeah, that uh, which are obviously an um, Alex Gibbs. Alex Gibbs, uh, sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so the, the the Alex Gibbs, you know, kind of coaching tree as far as um, running games, zone blocking, whatever. So those are the three right. other ones that really run it really heavily, like Seattle does. And they've adjusted to the new rules. They've adjusted to the the new chop block rules, which have really made cut blocks hard, and you know, so they, they've they've tweaked the scheme in ways to allow them to continue to be successful. And Seattle hasn't done that. They're still um, asking players to do things which really you can't do anymore. And it, it, to me, it's that uh, it's a scheme problem. It's a coaching problem. There was a play this week where. Uh, where the, the run is is a running play, it would have been successful except for the fact that Abushi came up and ended up knocking Britt down uh, because he was trying to he was trying to do his job, which was to block um, Aaron Donald, who was lined up at nose tackle, so that um, Britt can move up on a linebacker. But because of where they were and because Donald is so quick, he fired off the ball. Britt got it got engaged and it actually had Aaron Donald blocked and then Abushi basically just trying to do his own job um slides in and tries to basically take over that block so it becomes a combo block but it doesn't work and Britt ends up falling down and I'm like well see to me that's a design problem it's almost
0: overcomplication
1: it is because it, you, the the positioning the where the where everyone is lined up tells you Britt can make this block uh, he is lined up specifically in the right position to block that player, and we're going to say no, we don't want you to. We want this other player who's kind of out of position to block him, and I we'll want you to to jump up and we we'll, on a on a different team with a different uh, running game coordinator. Britt would have made that block. Ibushi would have pulled behind Britt and stepped up through the hole uh, onto a linebacker, and the play would have been successful. But because they're forcing. Uh, the team to kind of run this, you know, cable thing where with all these combo blocks and and adjustments, where mid play you have to change who's blocking who. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. overly complicated. Brit ends up well, going. And what being, I
0: what I see, Keith, from somebody that doesn't study it as much as you, <clears throat> I see a lot of off balance uh, on our offensive line. There, there's oftentimes you see guys on the ground, guys are tripping over each other guys are reaching. I see a lot of reaching um by offensive linemen. Uh there's a lot of penalties. There's a lot of false starts. Uh there's just a lot of things that are wrong right now. And mm-hmm. and I, I don't get it. Because this is a professional team with a soup with with a Super Bowl or bust mentality. And it doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at this <sighs> I understand a little bit that there just isn't enough practice time to get offensive lines where we want them to be anymore because of the new collective bargaining agreement. So you're going to see improvement over the course of a season once they finally yep. got enough practice time that they would usually get in training camp. But the the mistakes that are being made now aren't the type that are a problem because of lack of playing time. Yes. They're, well, we,
0: the, and we just talked about the running game, dude. We, yeah, we haven't even talked about the the pass blocking yet, which, which is, is a problem,
1: which is, which is still very poor. Um, Wilson was pressured on fifty three point nine percent of his passes yeah. uh, in this game, according to uh, Pro Football Focus. So you throw in that the complete lack well, of a running game, right? And
0: I just said that we were he was knocked down thirteen times this year already. He's mm. been hit forty three times in two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. Right that's only second to uh Carson Palmer. Mm-hmm. Which he He's got 43 times hit. Carson Palmer's been hit 50 times. I'm sorry <laughs> Arizona but you have a slightly worse offensive line than us. I don't even know how.
1: I don't even well <laughs> <laughs> it's only
0: because of Carson's inability to to be mobile. Car-
1: Carson Palmer's feet are on, are encased in concrete. And yet he is out there playing quarterback in the uh, NFL. So let's, you know, I mean, yeah. he, he literally the Palmer, right? Yeah. I, 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 I the, he, he is out there playing despite the fact that he is a complete statue and is mildly effective, which is crazy, but that also puts a ton of pressure on the offensive line. So right. those hit and those hit pressure stats are, well, and, what I, they only, are. and I
0: only compared those two to, to, to make the point which is think about truly how bad this has to be when Russell Wilson is your quarterback and this is the kind of hit ratio that you've got and yeah, pre- he, pressure he, ratio
1: you have the most mobile quarterback in the NFL the best quarterback at avoiding um pressure and you know avoiding sacks yes. and yet 13 sacks already 43 times he's been hit i mean it's yeah. just uh, this offensive line is terrible at pass blocking, but that's and, supposed and to be okay. There, it's supposed to be what it is. Like, Hey, we've got Russell Wilson. He, he'll make up for the bad pass blocking, but we just need to make sure we can run block. Right. And they can't run block either. They're terrible at run blocking. So, and that's,
0: yeah, that's why, and that's why we have fits and starts on offense. And mm-hmm. that's why we have, you know, at the beginning of games, it's really hard because defenses are fresh. They're putting maximum pressure up front on Russell Wilson because th- they're wanting to set the tone for the game. Mm-hmm. You know, all sorts of things are working against Seattle right now, I- including, you know, Seattle just dis- the inability to execute on Bevel's design plays. You know, that's an issue too. Um, yeah. You know, and that's why people so want to call for Bevel's head. You know, it's not all Bevel. I mean, if you take a look at Bevel's play calling, it's not that bad, but the execution level on some of those plays is is not good.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have, you have situations where, uh, like, there was a, I think it was a third and five and Wilson hit Lockett for three yards, and everyone's like, why would you call that? It's, you know, three yards short of the sticks. Well, that, you look at the replay of that, and you've got both uh, Richardson and Darbo open beyond the sticks. Wilson needs to...
0: Right, that and... You get you take a look at Lockett. He's probably one of the the most dynamic playmakers in the NFL after he catches the ball if he's got space to work with. Yep. So you know it. it Bevel is only Bevel does call a conservative game, but I think that's mm-hmm. more an onus onto the way that's Pete ph- Carroll wants to run the the show.
1: Yeah, it's philosophical. <laughs> it's that comes from Pete Carroll and Tom Cable. They are they want to be very conservative they want to run the ball they want to eat the clock i mean that is yep. what they want philosophically this offense to be so um
0: but but schematically with combined with personnel it's uh, something's got to change because it's not completely working and mm-hmm. it's not going to get us past the first round of the playoffs yeah i mean that's just my personal opinion we talked uh before the show about maybe next week's podcast talking about some of the things that we're going to talk about and so forth <clears throat> and one of those things was adjusting our expectations
1: yeah well and i think we should let's save that for next week but i i don't know because i i want to get into that a little bit more in detail and i kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about the offense because um yeah to me how do we fix it like we, we we've said how bad it is how do we fix it well, let's, let's do that.
0: I mean, let's talk about so, how do we fix it. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about is bringing in a premier left tackle. Okay. Yeah. So that settles that offensive line down, gives Jokel a chance to heal. Maybe you put, uh, uh, you move Odiambo over to, to left guard, you bring, um, uh, Glowinski back over and you put him at left guard. Maybe Posick gets a chance right now. I'm not sure. Tobin, uh, took a few snaps. Um, this last game so you've got some tools to work with on the offensive line as long as a couple of key components are, are are put together it looks like a fetty is somewhat competent now out at right tackle I mean he certainly misses some things but I don't think the primary problems are with him uh Boucher has got some difficulties on a few plays you could say that about almost every guy except for maybe Britt um uh, but but the competency on the right side looks okay. I think it's the left side now that we're looking at. You mentioned Jokel having issues possibly with the knee that were undisclosed. Maybe that was some of the reason that his quickness just didn't look quite right. And Odiambo's is just, quite frankly, inexperienced, and it shows.
1: So, it's more than just inexperienced. He's completely overmatched out there. <laughs> um, and it's like every play. He's just you can't count on him to right. to make the block. It's just, it really mm-hmm. is rough, but I was, you're okay. asking. Okay. So I, I think, so how do okay.
0: we, f- we've talked about the offensive line. We'll go through the rest of the stuff, but okay. I wanted to talk about the offensive line first, because I think that's where fans see the most, the pro- most issues and the things that we could probably fix. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we fix what we just talked about?
1: So I think what, we, one of the things that you need to do is, to recognize that Riso Diombo is never going to be this, at least this season, he's never going to be the competent left tackle this team needs. So you either go get a Dwayne Brown or you do what the Seattle did with, um, Breno Giacomini, uh, and Zach Miller, and you stick a tight end next to him and help him on every play. Um, because you have to, and you've got a guy, uh, out there who can, um, you know, who can do it. So you've got a guy like, uh, Nick Finette, who you can just stick out there and put him next to, um, Odiombo and just make it so that Odiombo isn't failing on every play. Provide that consistency. Does it take a player out of, um, being out in roots? routes? Yes, yes, it does. But you have to be able to have at least some consistency and some success there. And I think schematically you can do that. Yes, early in the yes. season, early in the season, the team was was trying to do that. They were putting a tight end on one side. They were keeping ProSize in at running back. They were using Jimmy Graham a lot um, on the other side. And so they were they were basically going to max protect and um, you know blocking with seven and running three out in um, in routes, and it didn't really work. Uh, and then they kind of went the opposite, and they go, okay, instead of doing that, we're going to spread everybody out and know that Wilson is not going to have protection, but is- expect him to work his Russell Wilson magic and have a full five players out in routes. Um So somebody's going to be open. And that's what they did in Tennessee in the second half.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Keith, before you get too far along. Is it possible that this is not exactly what it seems, (laughs) given the fact that we have faced three of the five top defensive lines in football as it relates to pressure? San Francisco, Tennessee, and the Rams.
1: Um. They've also faced Green Bay, which they made. And Green look, Bay, they, they made Green Bay look like uh, an amazing defensive team. Yeah, but that was the first
0: game. Yeah,
1: I know, but still, is, is there a chance of that? Yes, but it also looks like you might run into the 2015 c- scenario where, when they start to play some weaker uh, uh, defensive lines, they're going to look better, and we're going to have this idea of this like false improvement. But then, when we get closer to the playoffs, and you know, they have to play the good the good defensive lines again, they're going to go back to looking awful.
0: So your first uh, choice is to get the competent left tackle, possibly Dwayne Brown. Second choice, Brandon Albert. Uh, third choice, uh, hug Odiambo with a tight end all all game. Yeah. Okay. Anything else?
1: The other the other thing that you can do is to start look at at looking at uh, personnel usage and personnel groupings. Um, because how about quicker Jim, routes
0: i know bevel likes to call pass plays that take a while to develop
1: well he does he um he likes and to throw
0: the ball downfield i mean we like explosive plays and those take time
1: true <laughs> um and the other thing about that is that you give russell wilson a chance to be russell wilson when you do that by taking by, by throwing everything super short you're taking away Wilson's biggest asset, which is yeah, the ball.
0: But but one of our most successful drives of the entire season was against the Rams where we averaged like five yards per play or four yards per play and had that 15-play sustained drive, which was excruciating. I think I wrote on Twitter, it was like you know pulling teeth, extracting molars and all that crap because it was. I mean, it was crazy, but it was successful. But that was it a total was dink and dunk uh, drive.
1: True. And... That you can do that, but the problem with trying to do that is in order to score that way, you have to convert on third down every single time. So you have to be perfect on all your third down plays, and in that drive there were like, I think there was five of them. So you have to have five perfect third down plays in order to score points. This is the equivalent, a baseball equivalent of trying to score runs by only hitting singles.
0: Right. Well, and this is what our our defense asks uh, opposing offenses to do to us.
1: Yes, and the reason why it, Seattle gives up yards and it can be frustrating for us because they do give up third down <laughs> conversions, but they don't give up points is because you're never going to be successful 100% of the time. And so asking a team to do that, just doesn't work. And so asking our offense to do that just doesn't work. And they're also not built to do that. I mean, Jimmy Graham is a big play tight end. You've got Lockett and Richardson, which are both speed demons that are built for the big play. Um, I mean, that is who this team is built around in the passing game. You need to use the talent that you have. And I just think what you've got to do is you've got to adjust. Well,
0: you can add McKissick and Procise to that, too. I mean, you're right. And and Wilson is one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, this team, given, like I said, again, in Twitter, uh, Wilson, if given Goff's uh, time and protection, uh, could be uh, NFL player of the year. Um, Because, you know, Wilson's accurate. Given the time, he can put the ball all over the field. He's got the arm to throw sideline to sideline. You know, the, but Wilson was held to 5.3 yards per pass so far this this season. Yeah. So, I mean. His average over over many seasons now is 7.8 or something like that. Right, Keith?
1: Yeah, it's just under, just under 8. So um, it's just really
0: bad this year.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is especially bad this year. They're just not connecting on some of the, the big um the the big explosive plays i mean you see there are times we've they've got guys open that they they just missed or the guys open but Wilson's running for his life and has to dump it off um well part of the issue too
0: close. part of the issue too is that the offensive line is getting pushed on so hard on the initial off the initial snap that you almost you have to drop Wilson back five steps you can't sometimes get him to drop back just the three steps and do the quick stuff because the the defenders are already in his face right there.
1: Yeah. Uh because the they're yeah, they're just there it's just there's a lot of stuff in there that's not working. What we saw the last couple of weeks is a lot of moving pockets where Wilson takes the snap and yeah. does a half rollout and sets up behind yeah. where the tackle um lined up. And so they, they just roll away from that interior yep. pressure.
0: Yeah, and, and they've, and and they've sh- created a lot of successful plays out of that. I mean, yes. that's better than better than nothing.
1: Yeah, because by not having Wilson drop back to a spot a predictable spot, you you know, so you have the the defensive lineman firing trying to get to where they think Wilson's going to be, and then he's not there. So that just it just buys a little time, creates a little more um, uncertainty for the defense, and it works. But it, <clears> it also it also makes the field smaller and so it makes it easier on the opposing secondary because you know when you, if you if he rolls right that left sideline is really it's really hard to get to because you have the distance that you just created by rolling the quarterback away from it. So the safeties and everything kind of shift over to the right with him and so you're you're making it easier for your offensive line but harder for your receivers. Yeah. So it's well, I think any time any time though
0: that we can spread that defense out laterally it's better for Wilson. Yes. Uh, So, and getting to that. So let's talk a little bit about the running game on, on how we fix the offense and, and with that possibly maybe the read option a little bit more.
1: They really need to, um, to adapt and go back. And by adapt, I mean, look backwards and come back to the read option because if nothing else, you've only got to run it a couple of times a game. To start making that outside linebacker uh, stay home and not uh, crash inside, and it just it it becomes a numbers game, right? So it's the way it works because the quarter the quarterback is there. uh, You usually have six blockers to five defend or six blockers to seven defenders, or you have um, you know seven blockers to eight defenders, and the numbers. they always favor the defense in the running game. So by making a defender have to watch uh, the quarterback, you make it six blockers versus six defenders. And it becomes a numbers game in your favor. And if you get a, um, you know, the you have the unblocked defender and the read option, if they're watching the quarterback, and then you have an outside linebacker who hesitates because they're watching, they're also watching the quarterback. Now you've got six blockers to five and a half defenders because you've got the uh, linebacker who's hesitating, and the numbers yep. start to work in your favor better. And I just think that you can do that, and you can start to get a running game going. Yes. Uh, and I would love to see the Seahawks do more of that on uh, third and short, third and two. Yes. And give. I was Wilson-
0: thinking read option on that critical third down play in the fourth quarter there.
1: Yeah, and they didn't. They yeah, Right.
0: They just handed it off. You know, I would like to see some stats as it pertains to historically uh, what happens to our offense when we run the read option. You know, it used to be a time where uh, Wilson could be counted on to run that read option three to five, six times a game. Yeah. Uh, we've completely moved away from that, and I'm wondering why. Is it because we're trying to save Wilson, or is it a scheme situation where maybe we just don't have the other players necessary to completely pull that off i don't know i think
1: i think it's trying to save white wilson because you just don't want him to get hit a lot and when you run that play there's a chance that the linebacker is going to scrape uh over the top and be right there um waiting to kill your quarterback at the line of scrimmage and so you have to weigh that and you go is it worth it and i think it you seems have like to they could Wilson. run
0: it seems like they could run some plays off that that design though start Wilson you know running the read option with with the running back coming through to the line having him laterally slide across the the play in in motion and when a when you see that linebacker react dump the ball over the, over the top to a tight end you know they just don't run that play very often
1: yeah they need they need to to you know you can use that read option look yes. and turn it into a, and turn it into a read pass option where Wilson has the opportunity to um when he pulls that ball back from uh the running back to throw it and yes. you know, like know that he's going to have single coverage somewhere and rather than have to run it outside okay pull it down and throw it um yep. you know from that look and and just Make life more difficult for the defense. I think that would be a good a good um, way. I, I would love to see the team do it, and I know why they don't. I know they don't want to put their quarterback in a situation where he's taking that extra three to five hits per game. But it makes the offense better. It makes it more dynamic. It makes it more difficult to defend. And at some point, you just have to do it because the offense. You know what, Heath, job done.
0: I you know I I buy that argument, but yet at the same time, the stats just don't bear it out you know while being hit 43 times that's just one thing but he's also rushed 30 times this year in five games.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, but those rushes 20, 20 scramble, of, yeah, mostly but
0: scrambles. yeah, but 20 of those he's been hit. 10 of those he's run out of bounds. Yeah. So he's getting hit anyway. You might as well make your offense more dynamic out of it.
1: Yeah. I I'm not disagreeing with you. I think they need to do it.
0: How so. about how about uh, that jump pass or not the jump pass but the pass to Jimmy Graham in the end zone that was successful, that everyone kind of wanted to see that play for like the last year and a half. And all of a sudden they, they executed on it.
1: They finally got coverage that they were happy with, with Jimmy Graham, because when they get down into the end or into the red zone, teams go, Oh, let's go find that big six, seven guy and make sure he's at least double covered. And so Wilson goes elsewhere with the ball, but they finally got coverage that they were happy with. And that's the play, you know. If you've got single coverage on Graham, throw the fade to him. So, and so that's let what me, did.
0: let me. Okay, so that was a great play, good explanation. Let me ask you this though: to to help the offense, how to fix the offense? Uh, should Russell Wilson start throwing receivers open more?
1: I don't know. I. I mean, it's taking more chances, right?
0: I know, he's taking more chances. You're looking at possibly more interceptions, but also you're looking at more completions.
1: Yeah, um, I like Wilson taking what the defense gives him. Um, And I know that that's not a popular opinion, but I I like the lack of turnovers. I like the um, more conservative passes that way. And just taking what the defense gives him Living to, but um, but you opened the podcast admitting
0: down. that Russell Wilson is missing some of his receivers that are open, true,
1: but that I mean, so play the middle ground here, it doesn't have to be one <laughs> or the other. <laughs> well, I'm looking for a fix,
0: uh, you know, I'm true. looking, I'm looking so, to fix the offense because so
1: here's more of what I was thinking. Uh, in the first four games, the Seahawks played. Jimmy Graham in line, so lined up um, three, you know, a, um, three point stance next to the tackle on about, what was it? 68% of of his snaps. Yeah. Against the Rams, he lined up in line three times. Yeah. I like the that. rest of the, the rest of the game, he lined up either in the slot or uh, all the way outside. And yeah, do more of that, please. Jimmy because Graham
0: it, is who he is. Yeah. He's a dynamic big huge receiver
1: yeah and if you're gonna ask him to block have him block a safety don't ask him don't ask him to block um a linebacker or a defensive end because he's not a good blocker so have him block a safety or a cornerback line him up outside so we can do that uh and to me that was an adjustment that uh i I, am i fully support do more of that
0: i saw nick vanette more too in this game
1: you did um so, looking at the snap counts for this game, uh, we had Nick Finette played twenty snaps out of sixty-eight. So he played uh, more than well, just under a third of the snaps. And in prior
0: games, Keith, I think he's only been out there six, seven times.
1: Yeah, his highest I think coming in was fourteen snaps.
0: And he's and he had what two or three receptions too out of that. Now some of that was most of that was blocking, which yes. we need, right?
1: Yes, and, and so he's brought in as as a as a blocker. Um, and he does, despite what his reputation is, he actually is has done a, a decent job blocking. The other thing that was interesting about that is so you had 20 snaps by Nick Vanette. You only had 26 by Luke Wilson.
0: That is interesting so, to me.
1: So you have the two of them very much uh, splitting time. And Jimmy Graham played 42. So it's about double. Um, two Jimmy Graham snaps for every um, one uh, Nick Vanette snap. So they, they really are using Vanette as a uh, the inline blocker uh, and allowing uh, Jimmy Graham to play on the outside, and they're just making that adjustment. When they need a guy on the line, they'll pull uh, Graham off the field and bring Vanette in, so that way they have the the inline blocker there.
0: Out of sixty eight total offensive plays, Eddie Lacy had played nineteen of those plays and only had how many? Rushes? Did you say before it was like nine, eight,
1: nine, nine rushes for
0: nineteen yards. Right. So I mean, to me, for a team that's just completely focused on running the ball, <clears throat> and here's a, here's a here's the problem again. You know, with the slow start scenario, um, which could help the offense. We need we need to start better because if we're ahead, if we build some sort of lead, whether it's seven points, ten points, or whatever, we turn to running the ball more and I think we could be somewhat effective running the ball if we actually were able to commit to it but given the scenarios that the games are giving us where we fall behind early in games um, our our run game just isn't ever able to get into sync
1: yeah so okay so let me let me throw um and then we out. and
0: then we'll have to wrap up
1: yep let me let me let me, let me break out a, a, a stat for everyone it's um The stat is net yards over average. So this is one that's calculated by the NFL. um, And what it is, is so you take into account field position, down and distance, all those kind of things. And it's average over the NFL uh, for each of those situations. What does a team do? And then uh, you compare it to uh, how individual, when a player is on, a when a a Seahawks player is on the field um, versus those situations. So it's kind of like the plus minus thing. Yeah, in basketball uh, in basketball. So you you get an idea of just because a player doesn't get the ball doesn't mean that they're not affecting the other team. Right. Uh, so cause Jimmy Graham doesn't get a lot of receptions because the other teams are focusing on it. He makes it easier for other, uh, Seahawks receivers to get open type of thing. So people complain about, uh, about Jimmy Graham, but despite Seattle's offense, um, which has not been great. I mean, so net yards over average per play for Russell Wilson this year is negative a quarter, negative 0.25. So, in every combined over every situation, Seattle's offense is a quarter yard per play worse than average in the NFL. Um, but when Jimmy Graham is on the field, they are plus uh, 0.31. So, they're a, a, almost a third of a yard better than average when Graham is on the field than when he's not. Uh, so that is a, and, and if you compare it to Seattle's offense to, in in a, in a total totally, they're a half yard better per play when Jimmy Graham is on the field than when he's not.
0: Please right? do so, not trade Jimmy Graham. So that <laughs> we so need that, all the that, help we can get. <laughs> so
1: that that tells you the impact that he has, just because he doesn't get the receptions. Right. Other teams focus on him so much that the offense is a half yard better per play when he's on the field than when it he's not. It doesn't not.
0: sound significant, but that really is.
1: It really is absolutely. Um, so if you look at it, the the CJ Procyse is they're almost a yard better per play. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually almost a yard better per average a yard and a half better <sighs> per play than or sorry a yard and a quarter better per play than um than when he's not out there and of course now he's hurt yeah that's tremendous out, um, that's a
0: tremendous stat i mean think about that keith yep. that's just unfortunate for him i i real feel yep. i feel bad for the kid i mean i was a guy when i was coming up uh playing um I, I was a very physical player and I just had all sorts of nicks, cuts and scrapes. I would try to play through all of that as much as I could. But in the end, I ended up having to give up football because of injury. And so I know that a guy like that wants to be on the field. So don't bash him because he's not able to play. It's just one of those things where his body is just not equipped to deal with the NFL. Yep.
1: So JD McKissick is when the, he is on the field, the offense is three quarters of a yard per play better than when he's not. Jeez. So yeah. he, it's not as good as CJ precise but it is significantly better when he is on the field. Now, granted, that means that they're throwing the ball because yeah. he's not going to he's he's not really a threat to run it most of the time. But they are still better with him on the field than when he's not. Now,
0: now think look about at some of the, uh, now think about well, hold on just a second. Think about how think about the perception. That our offensive our, our offense has our, our, the perception is that we're not very successful we don't convert on third down very good we're middling scoring offense uh, and and we're just constantly struggling that's kind of the perception but
1: Absolutely. what you, but
0: what you're saying is is that we're at least an average offensive line and sometimes better than or not offensive line but offense and sometimes better than average. Which well, we tells are, me that the, the offenses in general, overall, are suspect. Well,
1: we're, they're a quarter of a yard per play worse than average. So they are below average. But when they've got their 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 uh, offensive weapons, Jimmy Graham, C.J. um J.D. McKissick, these are passing weapons. On the field, they're better than average. But when they don't have those guys on the field... They're worse than average because if you look at when Eddie Lacy is on the field, they average three-quarters of a yard less than average or half a yard per play worse than when he's off the
0: field. So let me ask you this. Now there's a lot of proponents out there that are saying maybe we should turn the offense completely over to Russell Wilson and just be be a pass-first offense that leads then to the run game. Is that necessarily a winning formula? Even though you're telling me, that we are averaging more yards, is that necessarily a winning idea?
1: I think it is because you, you, you get, you put the, you let the team be successful and you put them in situations where this is what you're good at. Go do that. And to me, that is an improvement versus this is So,
0: um, it's funny, Keith, because I'm getting my, in in my mentality, I'm mm -hmm. getting to the point in the season where I'm starting to agree with you in that, um, what do we have to lose? Because, uh, we are going to be what we are and we are, we are a team that is not going to be able to run the ball and, and and less proven otherwise. And so far we are what we are. And we're definitely better at passing the ball, um, given Russell Wilson's ability to move the pocket and all that kind of stuff. So
1: so here's let me ask you one, one more question. Do you think that the seat, the team would be better off with Lacey in the backfield or Rawls now that Chris Carson's out for there? Dang,
0: man, I'm just not seeing enough out of Lacey. I mean that would be such an easy question to answer if Lacey was playing up to his ability. I think Lacey gives you that physical style of running that I, that the team I think that the identity of the team needs. But and and Rawls hasn't shown much since his rookie season. Uh, so and has a propensity for injury. So I would say Rawls, are, you know, would be second to Lacey given a. A choice but Rawls both of them are not giving you anything right now Keith
1: well let me the the offense when Rawls is on the field is averaging a yard less per play compared to when Lacey is on the field
0: why do you think that is what are you seeing what does your mind tell you when you see that stat when what, I see compared that to staff, what you actually I, see actually taking place on the field when those two players are on
1: honestly when I look at that that was the opposite of what I expected yeah because when I saw when I went through and looked at the game on Sunday what I saw was that Rawls looked like he could make a guy miss um and therefore get yeah. positive turn nothing into something
0: and that could and be I didn't a,
1: feel like lacy could do that
0: that could be a, a a situation of just lack of complete sample size there true and and um, yeah. given the given the defenses that we're facing too yeah on, on the rolls, it just may not be enough sample size there
1: yep the both of those guys have had uh games where they uh were not active and lacy played against indy um, and had a bunch of yards late in the, in the game yeah. in the fourth quarter. And so it might be that, but at the same time it's a, a y- over a yard per play yeah. difference. That's huge. And I that miss Chris that, Carson
0: more than ever right at this moment.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because um, in Chris that Chris thing
0: had to have been like positive. Yeah. Big time.
1: Well, yeah. Cause well, Chris Carson made the offense better than it was, but it wasn't, it was less than a quarter of a yard. Yeah, I it's know. it's still you know negative right. compared to league average, but it's better than the other two. Right. I mean, because it is, um, you know, it is one point uh, six seven, so one and two thirds yards better per play than when Thomas Rawls is on the field.
0: I, uh, for me, it still just comes down to the offensive line. If we had competent offensive line blocking, blocking scheme, et cetera. Uh, our run game would be better at the start of games and we would be able to build uh, and sustain drives and build leads.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So, I mean, we we need to figure out how to do that, you know, uh, whether it's a scheme change or a personnel change. I think, you know, we, we need to do that to be successful. Uh, if not this year, uh, which is would be unfortunate to me, um, we got to do it next year. I mean, it just has to be done. There's no question um that we could be a go deep in the playoffs with the offense we have i think if we had a a number 10 through 15 offensive line
1: yeah i mean you don't i don't think they need a, uh an offensive line that's 10 through 15 you give me an offensive line i'm just line saying
0: average 15, 15 is to average 20, right 20
1: okay right? that's just
0: still kind of sli- slightly, slightly below, below
1: average. average right um and I think this offense takes off. I mean there's talent everywhere on that offensive uh, you give them a slightly below average performance by the offensive line. I think they they score thirty points and win easily against almost any team, yeah, but they don't have a slightly below offensive line. They have a terrible offensive line
0: well let's let's end on that,
1: yeah, that's gonna be fun. <laughs>
0: You know, there's there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of there positives on, on the team. We're 3-2. and two. Uh, the, the, the rest of the s- schedule looks favorable. The next few games looks really favorable now. We had penciled in originally. Uh, the Giants game was questionable for us as far as winning on the road against the Giants. Giants were actually one of those teams that a lot of pundits were saying would, would compete for the uh, NFC title. Uh, they are 0-5 and so and have a lot of injuries uh Seattle should be able to go and take care of business after the buy and get that win even if we don't find a replacement on the offensive line and Jokel's out um any other thoughts Keith as we wind this thing up and we look forward to the next show
1: no i next next week's going to be fun we're going to look ahead to the giants we're going to look ahead to the rest of the season we're going to Play a little game of, um, you know, biggest surprise that's positive, biggest disappointment on a lot of different things, both Seahawks and NFL uh, related. It'll be a fun show. So definitely check that out.
0: Yeah, and it'll be fun to actually talk just about something that's uh, that's off all the negative stuff. I mean, uh, I don't want to end up being negative because of the offensive line. There's a lot of positive stuff. Uh, You know, we've got really dynamic good quality players all around um we we need to figure that part out but there's a lot to like about the team i think the opportunity is there to take advantage of a weak conference um i you know i we're gonna win the division we should uh have you know be in the conference playoffs um so it's just a matter of, I think, tweaking a few things. I think we're, we're not too far away for me to get that offense That's that we could have an offensive line that's at least you know top t- 20 or so um, t- just by either adding another player or um, s- scheming up a little bit. So any hoodaloo. I think we're going to wrap for the day. And uh, great show. Went a little long today. I apologize for that. Um, next week's show will be great. I think we'll try to do that next Tuesday. Um, So look for that next week. You can find Keith on Twitter, at MyersNFL. I am at NW Seahawk Northwest Seahawk. You can find the show at Hawk's Playbook. Find us on Facebook and uh, Instagram, uh, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes. Uh, Please visit the website. Uh, It's it's a really nice website. It's got all the shows archived. Uh, You can go back and take a look at and listen to all sorts of different shows. And this week would be a great opportunity. There's not a game. Maybe go listen to a podcast. That would be kind of fun to go back and listen to. So uh, without anything else to say, I will say goodbye and have a great week. Enjoy your week off, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Keith.
1: Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.
0: Hey, Hawks fans. Thanks for listening to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio and listen to all of our shows on hawksplaybook.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at HawksPlaybook. Playbook. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.